You're listening to Never Sleeps Network. Hey, fan people. It's your host, Aaron Roverman, reminding you that this episode of Speech Bubble on Never Sleeps Network at NeverSleepsNetwork.com is sponsored by Harry Tarantula. And the thing I love about comics are the crossovers. You know, those intercompany crossovers, DC versus Marvel, Batman versus Spider-Man, Spawn versus Daredevil. I mean, really, the sky's the limit. But I miss them. They don't happen so much anymore. But on the retail side, Harry Tarantula has a crossover on its own. You can go there for your comics fix and your cryptocurrency because they now sell Bitcoin. So you can get Batman and Bitcoin. It's pretty great, especially when people like uh, City Councilor Norm Kelly are talking about maybe paying your taxes in Toronto, your parking tickets, those sorts of things with Bitcoin. Now, if you don't know what Bitcoin is, it's a decentralized currency. Leon can tell you all about it. As he says, the least interesting thing about Bitcoin is the price. So go over there, get your comics, get your cryptocurrency, get your Batman, get your Bitcoin, and tell Leon that Aaron sent you. You're listening to Speech Bubble, the podcast that goes one-on-one with Toronto's comic book luminaries. Here's your host, Aaron Broverman. Godspeed, old chum. Hey, fan people. Welcome to another episode of Speech Bubble on Never Sleeps Network at NeverSleepsNetwork.com. Follow us on all social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at SpeechBubblePod. With me today, this is one of my favorite guests. He's a person that Seth the world-renowned Canadian cartoonist called the most underrated cartoonist of the last 20 years when he wrote an appreciation of this man's work in the Comics Journal in 2005. I'm talking about Chris Reynolds, who's with us all the way from the UK to talk about a reissue of his seminal work. It's called The New World Comics from Mauritania, and it's sort of a story, well, I'll let him describe it more, but it's a story that is very nostalgic for a sense of place. There's a lot of emotion that people are dealing with connected to their past. It really evokes a feeling with those thick panel borders that he has, the thick black and whites that he uses. But then in the background of this wistful memory sort of feeling that you get, there's some sort of thing going on with aliens and weird organizations. People are disappearing from photographs just generally, and businesses are suddenly shutting down, and you never quite get an idea of what's going on. One of the main characters wears this like 50s style sort of child's spacesuit costume, and he just wears it, and nobody sort of makes that big a deal 
about it. His name is The Monitor. So as you can imagine reading this, I have so many questions. I mean, Seth is the person mostly responsible for exposing this man's work to North America. And he actually designed this new reissue from the New York Review of Comics, uh, the New World Comics from Mauritania. It's out now. Please welcome its author and artist, Chris Reynolds. Welcome, Chris. Hello, my name's Chris Reynolds, and uh, I'm very pleased to be on Speech Bubble. That's awesome. We're so pleased to have you. I wanted to get right into, you know, usually when I ask a guest, the first question is, what was their early life like? What was their growing up life like? And I feel like that's particularly relevant in your case because of the way that you focus on place and memory and pasts and that sort of thing. So I wanted to get into why you're so nostalgic for things like the countryside and and those sorts of things. Why is place and environment play such a prominent role in uh, the comics from Mauritania? Well, as you grow up, you move through various different environments you go to your grandparents' house, you go to your school, you go to your first job, and you might move from one town to another town. And then all those old places are gone. And so it's something you have to deal with, really, to work out how you feel about those places not being there anymore. How you feel about possibly the days when you can't speak to your grandmother anymore, you just have to imagine her, and that kind of thing. And the comics, in some way, are an, an attempt to deal with that, you know, to kind of keep track of the way that these environments change like yesterday for example i came to toronto the first for the first time ever and it was new and i was here on my own i didn't know anybody else on this entire continent and uh i wandered around a bit and i thought oh a new thing you know new new place new experience how does this relate to the old places don't know yet but i could do a story about it right right because yeah i mean it seems like it's like the present and the past are coexisting in some of your stories, because sometimes people are, you know, very wistful for the past, but then sometimes things from their past are sparked up in the future and it's, and it's very immediate or they notice something that they thought was long gone, but it's back. People come back to life. It's almost like a sort of wish fulfillment if you're nostalgic for you know, people and places of, of your past. I think you're right. It is a kind of wish fulfillment done in the form of stories. Because when you move on from an era to another era, you have to make sense of it in, in some kind of way. And certain parts of it you want to keep. Mm. What made you use comics as a way to deal with these feelings that you were having? And when did you first realize that this was going to be an issue for you? This was this emotion was going to happen? I think I've always known that I was very interested in this particular subject matter about changes and life going on. But in terms of when it started to become a thing for me in comics and when I decided that comics would be the best thing I think that was probably when I just left college and I had a friend well still have a friend called Paul Harvey who uh, we, we'd both been very keen on comics and we'd done our own comics at college like one copy painted because uh, I was a painter and he worked on the product on the product pardon me product design side of things um, and I'd previously also done text stories 
little short stories and that kind of thing. And those stories had this kind of material in them. And when it kind of gelled together, when we both decided to start Mauritania Comics together, that was obvious that that was going to be part, at least, of the subject matter. Right, right. You have a very evocative style. I, I think that a lot of artists might try to do this sort of thing and give a feeling directly to the reader, but they don't really do it as effectively as you. You, you have a way of lingering on panels. We, we look at clouds as they move through the sky and all of it combines to create this like emotional sense. It's the same emotional sense that you want people to feel. You want the people reading to be wistful about what these characters are going through about their past. So did you choose that style or did it just sort of come naturally to you? It more came naturally to me. The, the way it developed, it didn't actually come from comics. Okay. Because I used to do Super 8 films, and uh, I'd read a lot about the techniques of Super 8 and about how to improve the projection and that kind of thing. And one of the things that they said was to get really good contrast on a Super 8 film when it's projected, do a thick black outline around the screen. And that came over into the comics because I thought, because that was so effective with the Super 8, I thought I'll do that in the comics. And the thick black outline around also transferred itself to the drawings themselves i thought yeah I, I, i've done a thick black black outline around the as a panel line i can do thick black panels around the characters as well and the other thing kind of moving on from that in the super 8 was that if you have a kind of second screen with a hole in it in front of the main screen and view the main screen through that just the screen the second screen looming slightly in the foreground can give a slightly 3d effect to the Super 8 film wow. if it's viewed from the right place. It works sometimes. It's a very hit and miss and it depends where the viewer is sitting, of course. But that's another reason for the thick black outlines. I thought this is a really good, you know, it, it's so good for Super 8. I'll try it in comics. Yeah, that's amazing. And, it, and it's good that you picked it up because, yeah, now that I think about it, it's very cinematic the way that you do your, your panel layouts and, and the way you pace the story in particular is very cinematic, even though a lot of the strips, until we get to your graphic novel, Mauritania comics, which is a more long form story, are they are strips. They are short. You know, getting into Mauritania, I kind of want to get into like, what was the genesis of that? Like you had all these ideas that you wanted to tackle, but how did you uh, start this project? Um, it started from, ha from having dreams and thinking that was quite a good dream. I'll do it in comics version. And obviously, a, just a dream, it's too loose to make a coherent story. So the any story that I'd do based on a dream would be kind of tarted up a bit and made a bit more fluent and a bit more coherent. But that seemed to work quite well. I, I could tart them up. I could make them a bit more coherent. And uh, I ended up with what I thought were some quite nice little stories. And so I carried on doing it. That's awesome. And then it's not just these characters dealing with the emotions of their past and sort of the mourning of people lost and places and things. There's also this sort of science fiction-y subtext going on that I, that I alluded to off the top where, you know, there's obviously, it seems like there's been a war between aliens and earthlings in space or something. The aliens are somehow involved in the mining industry, but I don't want to give 
the listeners the wrong impression because all this stuff is happening in the background. The main thrust, what would you say, is is the emotional connection to the past? I don't think there is a main thrust. I think that all all these various elements kind of come together in different proportions in different stories because when I'm doing a new story, I try not to repeat what I've done before. Right. I mean, obviously, because all all those stories are done by me, it does end up repeating quite often. But my intention is not to repeat and to do a new story. Mm-hmm. And that's why the um, the stories are not entirely, they don't have a solid continuity. Some, some things will change because I've thought, I can't have that. Because if I, if I have that, it's going to spoil this new story. So the, the story comes first. And so any continuity has to go out of the window if if it interferes with having a good story. Yeah, but thematically, it seems to... It seems to be coherently connected. There's recurring characters and things like that. But I think that's perhaps because it's done by the same chap. Right, right. Okay. But uh, in terms of making it a world or even having it about any specific thing, because I didn't consciously set out to do it about memories and that kind of thing. I've only thought that later. Because when Seth did his article in the Comics Journal, I read it and I thought, oh, yeah, that's what I've been doing because before I didn't know, you know, I thought I'd just been doing some comics. Nobody understood them and I didn't either. And suddenly Seth pops up and says, look, this is what you've been doing, Chris. And uh, yeah, he's right. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. A lot of my ideas are coming from Seth, but you read what Seth had to say and his appreciation of the comics journal in 2005. And then you read it and you're like, yeah, like this is happening. Just like you say. Yeah. Yeah. So at the time, at the time I didn't know, you were just doing it for, yeah. were you hoping to make a career out of it? Was it just a hobby? Like I was just pushing it any way I could okay. because I, I was having a good time doing the comics and I thought I'm just going to carry on doing these until I stop, as it were. Hmm. And the central thing is the fact that it all sort of takes place in Mauritania, right? No, the, uh, there is nowhere really called Mauritania. That's okay. just, that is just the name for the comic because we had to call it something. Something, yeah. But did it later become the town or the no, place? No, it's, it's not actually used at all in the story. I see, I see, I see. No. Okay. It's like kind of theme music in films. The characters never hear it, you know. Right, right, <laughs> right, right. For sure, for sure. Yeah, there's a lot going on. What made you choose to put some of the science fiction-y elements in? Because I, I, I like retro science fiction and you've got to have a bit of excitement and you know, you you can't do a story just about longing, otherwise it's going to be oh no. You've 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 got to have something a bit fun in it, and some humour and some science fiction and that kind of thing. And I mean, I know because I'm one of them. A lot of readers sort of read into the the conspiracy elements, the sort of out there elements, a little bit more maybe than they should. Well, the the invitation is there in the stories, isn't it? I mean, right, but. As far as I'm concerned, I don't know what the conspiracy is or anything. I just like oh, a bit creepy conspiracy in the background. Great fun, you know. <laughs> right, right. So everything is like on its own and like individual and like yeah, yeah. Everything is like serving the overall story of just the st- strip, basically. Yeah, the, the the kind of focus is is on the strips rather than on the continuity between the strips. Mm-hmm. But even so, I mean, you could say, oh, the continuity is just because they're all dreams dreamt by the same person. Right. Or the continuity is. He made a mistake. Right, right. Because, <laughs> you know, like, it's funny that you say that because there are characters that die yep. and come back. And is that just because you're like, oh, for this story, I need them to come back. So they're back. No, I thought it'd be really interesting to do a story with this character coming back just because you'd think, what? 
what? And nobody would know how to deal with it. Right. Because I thought, cool idea for a story. You know? Yeah, totally. It is totally a cool idea for a story. Because in Mauritania comics at the time, we were doing, well, Paul was doing something about vampires. And I thought, a vampire is somebody who comes back. But it's dealt with in a very, in vampire stories, it's dealt with very simplistically. They've become a monster and you've got to chase them out of town with torches or whatever they do, you know. But I thought you, you could do a lot more with it, you know. Right. And in this case, it's still kind of unsettling. Like, you hope that, like, this person will go back to her life and everybody will love that she's around. But but she kind of is disrupting. Like, everyone yeah. has sort of moved on. Nobody knows how it fits in. And that's what I was interested in. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. So you're interested in sort of, like, the uncomfortable, awkward moments that we that we feel. Not so much interested in them as I think that would be a neat story because I, I like to have all my things in the story, you know, the kind of people and the feelings. And if I can think of a, a good story kind of plot point, I'll think, yeah, right, you know, go for it. You know? Right. And right. that was kind of more, more or less the angle for that one. Right, right. Do you get a kick out of people asking you, like, what's going on in this? And, and No, because that puts the pressure on me to try and explain. And I can't explain. Right. It, I'm explaining to you, you know, right? And th- that's about as as much explanation as I can do, really, because uh, it just comes, you know. right? Right. That's amazing. It's really interesting because you go from, particularly in this, the way that you know Seth has designed it and picked it out and laid it out and that sort of thing. You go from these short strips to then this long graphic novel which was yeah. previously published called Mortania Comics yeah. and it's and yeah. it's all in here. Yes. So you go from your y- the readers getting used to these short short strips and then suddenly there's like a longer story and there's like recurring themes and stuff like that. Well, that's because Penguin Books came to me and they said we'd like you to do a graphic novel for us and I uh, and I of course said yes, I'll do one. And being a graphic novel, it can't just be short stories. It's got to be one long story. Right. So I scripted it up and sent it off, put in all my favorite things in it. And that's how that was. That's amazing. How did you uh, get to the point where you could draw? Did you have any training? Are you are you self-taught? Like wh- went, went to art school in Stoke-on-Trent. Okay. Yeah. How was that? A lot of people have varying experiences in art school. It was a varied experience, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I made lots of friends, had a great time, you know, which is the important thing about college days, really. Did you finish? Contacts. Yeah, I did, yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. And your style is so distinct. Was that something you picked up in art school or was that something you always no, had. I think that my paintings at art school had the same feel, but they didn't have the thick lines or any kind of comic type technicality at all, apart from some like, that I did like pop art that everybody does. But my kind of main paintings, they had the same feel, but they were like, they weren't as strong as the comics because I didn't really have the interest in the paintings because I couldn't really develop the theme because a painting is like just one panel and you can try and put things in, but you can't really develop your theme in a painting yeah, in the same way as you can a story. Not as much yeah. narrative That's it, yeah. structure. Yeah. And you did say that, you know, your style kind of for this, uh, for Mortania, sort of came to you naturally um, and then through like the Super 8 yeah. influence. But it also kind of lends itself to the like unsettling creepiness that's happening, the, the starkness, because there's thick black and white yes and that sort of thing so am i supposed to feel that way or am i am i misinterpreting like do you want me to feel this sort of 
unsettling creepiness, bec- and that's why it, you're choosing the black and white. It isn't so much that I want you to feel unsettled. I want okay. you to feel that technically, I want to kind of get away from fussiness in drawing, right, and have it like a bold pattern, but not too much of a bold pattern. Something of a of a balance between an illustration and a bold pattern. Something that. Just gives you the impression of a person and yeah. what's happening, but yeah. isn't too bogged down in like the detail. That's it. right, because if there's too much detail, you'll lo- you linger on the panel too much. Right. And in my view, you should be reading these quite slowly, but uh, at the speed of reading rather than the speed of looking at artwork. Right. And I did notice that when you do want people to more linger on a panel, and usually they're landscapes or something, there is more detail. Oh, yeah. And that's the same thing. Mm. Yeah. Awesome. And so the way that you pace these stories, which is, I think, where your brilliance shines through, was that all from Super 8 or? No, that doesn't really have anything to do with with the Super 8 films. The pacing is just learning it and doing it. Right. And just by like doing comics over and over and practicing? Yeah, just by practicing. There must be like unpublished practice strips that never made it to the final well i i've i've never done practice strips i've I've done some strips that i don't want don't want anybody to see right and you know you you do a number of strips and you choose the best ones and you say oh these are my strips those ones they're over in the cupboard (laughs) right (laughs) nobody will ever see them (laughs) that's interesting it's interesting because this volume in and of itself with the end of mauritania comics and where mauritania is placed which is at the at the end. Yeah. It really wraps up this universe. That's exactly what Seth said in the comics journal. And I thought, hmm, that's interesting. And I was thinking, because it's wrapped it up, does that mean I should stop now? Well, that's what I was going to ask you. <laughs> that's what I was going to ask you. Thinking, like, yeah, are yeah, you yeah, yeah. going to continue? Because there's so many questions that still uh, hang. Well, I, fe- I fell back on thinking, shall I try and do the- more of the same or shall I tr- do something different? I just, and I decided I'll do both. I'll do some different ones. And when I get an idea for a Mauritania comic story, I'll still do it because why not? Right. right. But I've done some new characters, Moon Queen and the Bee, like superhero kind of humor stories in color. And I've done a lot of cinema detective stories also in color. Those are mainly practice stories. There's nothing kind of particularly standout in those, but I've done lots and lots of those. And let me just say that the cinema detectives uh, are part of the Mauritania universe. They appear in in this volume. So are Moon Queen and the Bee there. It's all part of the same. It's all part of the same thing. So I want to get into the characters a little bit, if we can. Yes. Tell me a little bit about the inspiration for... Let, let's start with the with the monitor, because there's sort of a legacy that happens through this story. Well, again, Seth had it spot on, because in his 2005 comics journal piece, he said, Monitor looks like a character that Chris came up with possibly as a child years earlier and then merely incorporated into these characters and i thought yes he's quite right <laughs> did you he was did you wear costumes like that as a kid no never no i had a batman cape which i loved but uh, that was about as far as that went i used to jump down the stairs <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome that's awesome but like i know that helmet the fact that he that the monitor he he sort of appears and he wears this helmet and nobody makes yeah. a big deal about that. Why did you make that choice? For, for the same reason as we were talking before about why put science fiction in it. You know, let's put something in to have a bit of interest. Right. It's just because it's just weird and people yeah. are going to go, what? what's going on? Like, what is that? Well, 
I would say I don't know either. You know? Right. Wow. <laughs> I, I just so, thought I'd put it in. That's amazing. Yeah. But then, like, the monitor, I mean, what would you say his his function in the story is? His function in the story, you could probably say he's to be the person dreaming. And because he's a bit science fiction-y, it doesn't have to be quite like dreams. It can be a different thing. And his helmet will show that, perhaps. Right, right, right. And there's there's a legacy, as I alluded to, because on the cover of this book, it's not the monitor. Because right. the monitor has the M on the side of his yeah. helmet. This person has a 2 on the side of their helmet. Yeah. And there's a story in here... Uh, this person's name is Jimmy, and he sort That's of right. he sort of inherits the the monitor mantle, yes. kind of, and that really comes through in one of the strips, but then also more in the Mauritania comics. Yes, tell me a little bit about that, and why did you want sort of a? I guess Seth called it the de facto son of the monitor in the story. Mainly, I think, because I wanted things to develop. You, because in a lot of comics, you just have the same character doing things. But I thought, I want a bit more. I want things to move on a few years or be as if they've moved on for a few years and just kind of develop. Like we were talking before about how you move on from one part of your life to another part. I wanted to do that. Right, right. But it seems like Jimmy is more at the center of what's going on with rational control and this weird shutting down of businesses and that sort of thing. He seems to be at the center of all the stuff that's going on in the background. like More, more than Monitor is. More yes. than Monitor yeah. is. And there's this weird thing where he talks about... Uh, Nodal In, points. Intuition yeah, and nodal yeah. points where he he just gets this intuitive sense that he has to do something or do an action that'll ultimately set the world right in the yeah. bigger picture. Yeah. Can you explain that? Why you're so interested in intuition and these nodal points? What are nodal points? Well, at the time that I did the Mauritania Penguin book... There was a lot of interest in chaos theory and that kind of thing. And I thought, oh, I can use that. It's like the butterfly effect. You know, if you knew what to do, a very small effect would produce some larger effect further away later on. It'd be a very efficient way of changing the world to how you wanted to change it, rather than going out and fighting or getting a job or anything like that. You just say, all right, I'll turn this penny over the other way. And somebody will see it and da 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 And down the line, it's all come out how you want it to. And if somebody could be thinking that, it'd be great. <laughs> and it seems like rational control is the opposite. They're an organization that's trying to figure out what Jimmy is doing, but they're using, you know, regular la rational logic. Yes. Whereas you find out that uh, Jimmy is just turning the penny, as you, yeah. as you say, yeah. and it's just it's just a feeling that he gets that he yeah. has to. I think one of the examples is I had to give a kite to a boy at yeah. this particular yeah. moment. Yeah. And rational control, because they're rational control, thinks that he's doing this important stuff yeah. that's leading to the dissolution of businesses yeah. and and like there's some sort of conspiracy. So. Give me a sense of rational control. Why are they in there? There's, it's like a weird corporate well, power. 
it's like a comedy duo. One person has to be the straight man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, but but they are kind of the reader because if you're one of those readers who is reading into this a little too much and thinks that you have some sort of grand conspiratorial plan. It's like rational control thinks that too. Like they think that Jimmy has something going on in, you know, he has some, some weird conspiracy that he's doing. Did you want rational control but, I mean, to think what the reader was thinking? I'm not sure that rational control do think what the reader's thinking. Okay. It was certainly not my intention that they'd think what what the reader was thinking. I'm not sure that I even, even considered what the reader would be thinking, actually. I just wanted to get the story together. Right. It's interesting because you say, well, I just, you know, I want to serve the story. I want to uh, just serve the strip. So I, I'm, yeah. I'm going to put the the science fiction stuff in because it's fun but as a reader you think this guy's brilliant he's trying to tell us something or there's it's all connected or whatever you know like i definitely thought that i definitely thought that you were doing all of this for some grand reason that we would eventually discover right as i was saying before the invitation to think those things is there in the story right right exactly so it's sort of interesting when you have rational control who thinks the exact, like, they think the same way. Like, we have to investigate this this Jimmy person. Yeah, but of course they do have to investigate them because what he's doing works. Right, right. So when we have this, like, intuition versus rationality theme, did that play in your own life? Uh, not really at all. Okay. I mean, perhaps, but I'm, I'm not kind of consciously aware of it. At the time, I when I came up with the Penguin Mauritania story, I thought, I've got to come up with a story. I'll elaborate one of my themes and put elements. In and it. the theme is the rationality versus intuition or? Not really. Well, not consciously. Okay. What would be, when you say I elaborate one of my themes, what is that theme? Well, not necessarily just one of the themes, but putting all my elements together to make a story that was coherent and I could technically pull off. Ah, okay. Very cool. It's so not what, like, traditional comics readers are, are kind of used to. Like, it's it's so far away. And maybe maybe that's our error, is that we, we expect a certain thing, and we're getting something completely different. And we're just not, it's, uh, like, I, I just wasn't, wasn't used to it. You know, you know what I mean? Did you have any inkling about, what readers think? Did you give a draft to anyone? Did did, did you get any feedback on what yeah, yeah. on what it was? Some people used to love them. Most people were indifferent and bemused. But uh, I thought, well, as long as some people think they're good, I'll carry on. Right, yeah. right. And you submitted to Vortex, obviously, because that's yeah. where yeah. Uh, Chris found you. But in terms of trying to get this sort of oddball comic published and your career and that sort of thing describe that how did that journey go for you well i started with a cinema detective strip and i started slightly before paul harvey and i got together to publish mauritania and uh it started with self-publishing because in london at the time there was a magazine called escape comics by paul gravett and peter stanbury and they do all sorts of experimental independent stuff inspired by continental comics and that kind of thing also a small magazine very closely related run run by ed pincent called um 
called Fast Fiction. Right. And they used to run very experimental, short things that I think Mauritania fitted into quite well. So it's part of a kind of college of material coming from a similar place as that. It was certainly very encouraging to have those other cartoonists doing the same kind of, well, not the same kind of thing, but coming toward a similar area in those days. Right. And it, you know, with Paul Gravett and Peter Stanbury behind it, it all seemed like, oh, this is possible. We can do this. Right. Eddie Campbell came Eddie out Campbell, of there. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I only mention him because yeah. we're recording this on TCAF weekend and he's also going to be yeah. here. Yeah. That's that's really amazing. Like that that was quite a renaissance moment. It right? was. And because when we were there we just thought, oh, this is something that's happening anytime. But it wasn't. It was just happening then. Right, yeah. right, right. So you hit that. So I guess Mauritania Comics were published in there for a bit. And then what happened? Well, we carried on publishing. Penguin got in touch and said, Can you do the book? So I, I, I did that. But then, unfortunately, we lost our distribution for the comic because it used to be distributed by Titan distributors. And then Titan got taken over by Diamond. And then uh -huh. Diamond more or less said, we're not really interested in independent comics. And so that was the end of that particular incarnation of the comic, unfortunately. And we, we, we went on to do exhibitions. And we also did uh, some films. And I personally did some stories in Japan. And I've one or two little stories in magazines around the place uh that were also mauritania no they were just like mauritania stories you know Mar mauritania strips in other people's comics I see, uh, I see. in anthology comics okay okay and uh well i've carried on but because of no no regular mauritania comics coming out it was a bit difficult for people to follow yeah i mean one of the things uh, that Seth talks about, because you started in the mid-80s, right? Yes. Doing this. And uh, at the time, he was working on uh, Vortex and Mr. Yeah. X and that sort of thing. And and he talks about frequently how hard it was to try to find all the different comics and stuff. Yes. Yeah. Right. And that's just because of lack of lack of distribution. Yeah. And, you know, years and years have gone by and things happen, you get married, you move, you lose things, and you realize you haven't done a comic for three months, and, and you do some comics, and then you stop doing them again, and, and like that. Did you ever move on from it? Were you like, this is not, like, I can't make a living out of this, I have to find something else to do? Well, I don't make a living out of it now. You know? Right. But, I mean, sometimes I do, because I can proudly say to my wife sometimes, for the past three months, we've been living off comics, you know. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but otherwise, I, I work at jobs and uh, things like that. But I've, and as you were saying, do I ever give up? I, I often give up. I think, right, I've had enough. I'm stopping doing comics after this one. And then I sit down a bit and I think to myself, hmm, what would I like to do now? Mm. I know, I'll do some comics. But in reality, there wasn't ever a hiatus. Yeah, there was. The, okay. There have been many. Right. Even back in the 80s when I was doing the comic, there were times when I thought, I can't be bothered with this anymore. And then you'd start again. Was it frustrating, like the stopping and the starting and the trying to get something, trying to get interest happening? Because in order to get published, you have to have someone else to believe in you. Was that, was that a frustrating I've journey? Been, I've, I've been very, very much, much a self-publisher rather than published by okay. other people. I mean, other people have published from time to time. Right. But I've, I've wanted to not depend on that. I've wanted to think because the kind of rhythms of me producing comics and not producing comics are troublesome enough without having other people involved in the mix right right was the stopping and the starting hard 
Like, no, it's hard to get momentum, isn't it? Not really. I just, I, I can pick up a piece of paper and get drawing on a comic. If, if I have an idea for a comic and I think, oh, that's a good one or something like that, I can get cracking on it right away. Right. If I've, if I've not got an idea, I, I'll be thinking, I suppose I'd better draw something, but I can't, I don't really feel like it. And sometimes I do, but it, it comes out with what you might call mixed results. Right. I, I want to have your attitude because I know so many artists who stress about, oh, I got to do something every month or else I'm going to lose it. And you seem to, oh, if I stop, that's okay. I can, I can pick it up again and that kind of thing. Like, I, I love that. Like, the freedom of, don't worry about it. D well, where do you get that from, you think? I think I've always had it hmm. because not having been published very much, I don't suffer from deadlines so i can think i haven't got to do this today often i will do it today but i i'm not stressing about it right right and because you're so comfortable with like change and time and that's a focus even of the mauritania comics in your own life like you said the way that you were describing it oh you get married things change that kind of thing yes it doesn't seem like anything surprises you. It seems like you were always prepared for like life to take its course kind of thing. Well, life does. And also thinking about my grandparents, grandparents again, they lived through so much. You know, they were born in the early part of the 20th century and they had those massive wars and they moved here. They did this job. They worked on the railway. They lived in the 60s. And you think they've lived through lots of different times. Perhaps I'm going to live through lots of different times. Right. So for you, I mean, you already have lived through all these different times. Yeah. How do you view your life course? Do you view it in a similar way to your characters or? Well, one day I'll be walking along and I'll realize I'm dead because I'll be going to, I'll realize that I'm rolling up at my grandparents' house and they'll be there. <laughs> and I'll think, oh, what's this? <laughs> it's like, I don't think I'm asleep. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I'm asleep this time. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> yeah, and w w that reminds me of the story where the monitor sort of inherits this house. Yes. Like he has this job at this coffee shop yep. that he sort of uh, got this nice lady to, to hire him, sort of yep. kind of backed her into it. And then suddenly he gets a letter and he's sitting on the stoop and he opens the letter and it says that he's inherited the house and it's the house that he's sitting yeah. on, like the stoop yeah. on. Magic. It's yeah. crazy. <laughs> so, and, and, but this is very much like what you're describing in terms of, you know, one day I'll see my, my grandparents or I'll, I'll yeah. you know, because he, you know, thinks, what am I going to do with this house? But then he ends up living in it and there's like yeah. this whole thing of like, uh, you know, he lives in it for the rest of his life. Yeah. This is very similar to the way that you're describing your own your own path, I think. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. it's it's very interesting. So I wanted to get back to um some of the characters. One of the, the other main characters is uh the cinema detectives. Yes. Um, Mainly Rosa Pleck, also sometimes known as Rosa Butler, depending on whether it's a story when she's married or not. And her boss alf and also occasional other characters who come in and alf is also the boss of susan right no 
Um, or their colleagues or I'm, something? I'm, I'm, I'm saying the wrong name. Okay. Ken. Ken. Ken is the boss. Okay. Okay. That's <laughs> yeah, what I was thinking. Yeah, I thought yeah. I thought his... No, Alf is only Susan's boss. Susan's <laughs> boss. Okay. So, Ken. Sorry, I, yeah. I didn't mean to correct you, but I'm glad that we you cleared did. that yeah. up. Otherwise, people would have been thinking, what does he mean this time? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so, tell me about the genesis of the cinema detectives. Uh, like you said, you worked in Super 8 film. So, was that sort of part of that as no, well? No, they came from 1940s kind of cheap, generic British detective fiction that was produced to a rather low standard, but had a certain charm to it. And I thought, I really like this. I'm going to do some comics using this as a basis and see where it takes me. Not exactly noir? No, no. no. More what you'd now call cosy. Okay, so so describe that to the well. Cozy is like Agatha Christie and Paul Temple, ah. kind of locked room mysteries, and uh, they all have a big talk at the end about how it was done, and you know that kind of stuff, like Clue, yeah, clues, or yeah, like yeah, yeah. Murder on the Orient Express, just that kind of thing. Okay, okay. But mainly the kind of lower end of the market British, kind of cheaply done, not very well written stuff. Which I found very charming. Like what you would see on like PBS here or like BBC <laughs> or those sorts of things? Well, books rather than films. Books rather than yeah. films. Okay. Yeah, because you're right. Because a lot of that stuff on PBS has been adapted from, yeah. from yeah. books and stuff. Yeah. That's true. Wow. Okay. So, yeah, they are the cinema detectives. And, yeah. and give people an idea of like what they're investigating. What, what's going on here? Well, I'm trying all sorts of things. But the idea is that uh, they live in Birmingham, UK. And they're a detective agency, and they make films about their old cases. And they show these films locally, and they've got quite a good following. And so that's why they're known as the cinema detectives, because they make these films that of their old cases. That doesn't come out very clearly in all the stories, because I don't, don't want to repeat myself, but I assume that people will know that that's what happens, because I put it in from time to time. Otherwise, they're just like little kind of short detective stories that may or may not have any particular point. And one of the grander points, I mean, Rosa is connected to the legacy of the Monitor through Jimmy. Can you describe the that connection? Because it's a prominent one. Um, yeah, because the, the cinema detectives do pop up regularly in the Mauritania comics. and But I often put detectives in, in the same way as I put science fiction elements in, because it brightens it up. And so I think, if I'm going to put detectives in, I'll put the cinema detectives in. Right, right. And like, yeah, it's weird because like Rosa has a bigger connection to the monitor, but then J Jimmy and, and that sort of thing too. I, I don't want to give it away. It's such a interesting reveal when you finally read it and stuff. That's why I was sad at the end when it seemed to like kind of wrap up a bit. I, yeah. I want you to return to these characters. Are there are there any plans well, to do more of these, oh, these yes. stories? I have many more stories. There are a lot more recent stories about the Mauritania comic characters. They're not in this book, but I've been self-publishing them. Awesome. And uh, one day, hopefully, another publisher will pop up and say, Chris, I understand you've got some good stories. Can I publish them, please? And uh, then they'll be. Uh, awesome. So, But tell me about this. It seems like this is the first 
major exposure of you to the American Canadian audience. This is the first time I've heard of you, and it, it yeah. collects all the sort of original it does. Yeah. stuff yeah. that, that, that from I've a, known. From that particular period, yes. Yeah, from yeah. the from yeah. the mid-80s when yeah. you first started. So, what was the genesis of this book? Is it all because of Seth it's and his championing? It's not all because of Seth. I don't know quite where it came up. It might have come from Paul Gravetta even. Okay. But somewhere along the line, New York Review Comics came across me and they liked me and they sent me an email saying chris can you do can, can we republish some of your stuff and unsurprisingly i said yes please yeah, of course of course um where do you think this will lead do you think that this will give you some sort of popularity or resurgence or like a wider career it's going to give me immense popularity and make my stories really really famous it's going to be fantastic <laughs> and i'm going to enjoy every minute of it that's awesome tell me about your relationship with seth when did you first hear of him i first heard of seth when he contacted me to say that he didn't have a complete set of mauritania comics and could i send him some and Paul Gravett said, this Seth is a very important character, Chris. You should do what he says. And so I did. And before I knew it, he'd done his piece in the Comics Journal. And uh, now he's come to support me again with this. Mm. I've never actually met him. You should. I mean, he doesn't live... I'm, I'm going to meet him tomorrow. Ah, because he, because he <laughs> is interviewing you at TCAF, That's right? It. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, because... I hope he likes me. <laughs> I think he will. I, th I think he, you're one of his heroes. I mean, this is somebody that he's been following. You're somebody he's been following for a long, long, long time. Yes. Right. Right. So it's it's really amazing. And have you you have you read any of his work? Yeah, because he's very kindly sent me sent me lots of his books. I've seen his Dominion video, and I'm quite well up on 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 what Seth does. Yes. Do you see a similarity between Palookaville and what Seth does and what you do with Mauritania Comics? Yeah, I think there's a similar feel to a lot of it. It doesn't come from the same place, but there are certainly shared areas. Mm -hmm. Are you guys like mutually into nostalgia to the same degree? I think it's different. Okay. How so? Because I think that Seth is perhaps more genuinely interested in in nostalgia, and I'm more interested in it to use it for effect. That's all your comics. A lot of it is effect. Like the, I'm, I'm always astounded by the brilliance and the subtlety in the technique and the evocative nature. Like, do you know what you're doing and how to? create certain feelings through certain techniques I never or is know, it just oh, something that that happens by accident i never know what people are going to get from it of course right but people do say and they're pretty consistent in what they say about how they've received it what they felt and that's been pleasing to me but i also think yeah but have they really got it are they really getting what i'm really trying to say well, what are you really trying to say I'll have to do a comic about that, won't I? <laughs> <laughs> I? I think that's the, the biggest. That's the biggest question I have. What is he really trying to say? And uh, this interview has been, I want to say, delightfully unsatisfying in terms of telling me like the bigger picture. Like I thought I was going to crack it, but I all. But what I got was no. You just have to. You just have to take it for what it is. And I think that's one of the themes of your comics, right? When things happen, 
not everything has a grand story attached. Well, as you were saying, you didn't want it to end. Right. Well, it doesn't end. Exactly. There's more. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. So are you going to slowly spool out everything and answer every question? Or are you going to leave some things to the imagination? I'm not going to answer any questions. I'm going to carry on just like I've been doing. Right, right. And I guess more questions might be created out of that. Well, let's hope so. Because as I was saying very early in this in, in, in this interview, I don't like to repeat myself. So I'd like to do new stories about different things. Yeah. So, so then as threads don't get solved or get abandoned because you're bored and you move on to new things. I'm not bored, but I do want to change. Right. Change is good, right? Yeah. Change. Well, you it can be. It's here anyway, so we might as well live with it. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. How do you balance that, the familiar? Because a lot of your stuff is really familiar, at least the feelings and some of the hallmarks of how you're supposed to, you feel. It's very relatable, but then also having change on top of that as like a creative well, outlet. I think the feelings come from the change, because even if you think you're living in a steady state, there's a change there. Right. Right. Oh man, I don't know. It's 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 like everything that I hear from you, I have to like marinate on for a few for a few seconds and just think about. It's interesting. I'm excited to see where this is going to go. I'm excited for new questions, even if other questions that I had before don't exactly get answered. Sometimes questions get answered because I think I'll do that. I'll satisfy that one. Yeah. But I generally don't. Because it's just more interesting? No, because I think it'll be neat if I satisfy that one, because people have seen this before and they'll, th and they'll think, aha, and that'll be a nice thing for the story. Right. Or they'll think he never answers them. And then so when you finally do, it's very, it's very surprising. Yeah, but I'm never going to answer anything big, am I? It's always right, going it, to be something small. That's it, true. That's like little true. bits. Because if you, if you answer something, something big, people would say, oh, that's what it all was. Okay. Put it in a box. You know. uh, okay. So tell me this. Do you know all of these origins and backstories that you're never going to tell us somewhere in no, your head? No way. No, no. Of course I don't. Okay. I've got an idea, a, a hint and a, a shadow of them, but I don't know, you know. Okay. But you're never going to say what the shadow is. Well, I am saying what the shadow is. The shadow is what's in the stories. Right. Okay. But there's nothing. Yeah. There's no big chart on my wall saying what, how everything, how everything fits like, together. It's not like Lost or like a show like that with like a big Bible no, and like no, connections. No. Because and stuff. as I say, the focus is on the individual stories, not on the continuity. Right, right, right. So you can enjoy this sort of thing on its own as if it was published in like a newspaper once yeah. or something. Or if you just re read one story and didn't read it, read it, any others. Mm -hmm. And what do you want the best reaction to be? Do you want people to be like, hmm, or huh or like what, what what would delight you the most after somebody reads a single strip of yours if they said i want to read more of this that's awesome cool well i'm so excited i i i love this book like i i love it for what it you know how i feel after i read it even if I don't get the answers to all my questions. It is emotionally satisfying. And, 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 and it's something that like, you know, I couldn't wait to talk to you because I had all these, all these questions. And now that I've, I've had a chance, I have more questions. Oh, that's good. Then we can do another interview I, one of these days. I, I know exactly. So if people want to follow what's happening with you and where this book is available, 
How can they uh, get in touch or follow your career? Are you on social media? I'm on Twitter. Okay. Um, and I have a website. Awesome. And I'm easily found on Google. Cool. What, what's the website? It's um, cinemadetectives.com. Awesome, awesome. And I think I've been to cinemadetectives.com. There's a lot of interesting articles. Seth's appreciation is yes. there. Uh, links to buy this book. That's one of the first things yes. that you'll see on Cinema Detectives. What is your Twitter handle? Mauritania Comic, but, but without the S because otherwise it would have been too long. Right, 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 right. Do you like Twitter and social media? Like, do you think you can do ideas like this in 150 well, characters? mainly it's my wife who's on the social media. She handles that side of things better than me. Right. And she's always finding things to, to post up. She's on um, Tumblr as well. Nice. That's great. And with, with some of your strips on there? She puts single images and she also does pictures of cats and things like that to, to kind of lighten it up <laughs> um, all right people well i've tried to describe this as best i can but you're just gonna have to pick it up and read it this is one of those comics where you're just gonna have to read it to understand what we're saying i mean this whole thing maybe you're like what what is going on here well all i can say and i'm sure chris would echo this is read the book it's called uh, New World, comics from Mauritania, designed by Seth, with a foreword by Ed Park. Uh, it's from the New York Review of Comics. And uh, thank you so much, Chris. This has been amazing. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to our show. Follow us on social media at SpeechBubblePod. Uh, you can help us on the back end if you type Never Sleeps, all capital letters, at RippedApparel.com get uh, a little discount on uh, geeky t-shirts and that sort of thing. We're also on Giftagram, so if you need to order a last-minute gift for your mum or something like that, if you type in Never Sleeps 15, you get $15 off a Giftagram as well, and that helps us keep the podcast going. So thank you all for listening, and thank you, Chris, for coming with such a long way to do this. And thank you. I hope you enjoyed it, and we'll see you next time on Speech Bubble. Bye-bye. This has been Speech Bubble. See you in the future, friends. Never Sleeps Network. This has been a Never Sleeps Network production, executive produced by Alex Ross. For more information and content, visit NeverSleepsNetwork.com. Speech Bubble on Never Sleeps Network at NeverSleepsNetwork.com is executive produced by Alex Ross. Audio editing by Joseph Yanni. Social media assistance by Jamie Warner and The Social Smiths. Announcements by Craig Mayhem and Sean Ward. Logo design and graphical assistance by Brittany Tice.